How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Grant on the other side of the glass this morning. Cody is officially gone. He's gone. We have lost him. He has decided that he didn't want to spend the next hour with us. So for the next hour, I am riding solo here on the show. Appreciate you guys listening. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. I think we have our answer, at least the question that I was asking, as to how much belief the Royals with their new ownership group will have in Dayton Moore. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But I heard this after the game on Sunday, and it caught my ear as being something of note. Here's Sammy Watkins. As a team, we played hard, we fought. Um, we was, I mean, a touchdown, we lost by a touchdown against Green Bay Packers. And um, I think that's special. Um, even though we lost, we, we, we fought. And um, I feel like every team, every phase of the football game, we play hard and, um, you know, we came up short, but um, we play hard. A lot of you guys hear that and you're like, wow, man, that's a low bar to clear. We played hard. I get that. I totally understand where you're coming from, frankly. I also understand what Sammy Watkins is saying, though. That belief that the Chiefs could win. No belief. Do the say it aloud test, right? The Chiefs went into a game with Matt Moore as their quarterback against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, who are without question a top five team in the NFL, arguably one of the, at worst, three best teams in the NFC, and they were coming in almost entirely healthy outside of Devontae Adams, and you were going to try to beat them. Yeah, that's not happening. And they damn near did it. Fourth and two, or fourth and five, rather, they decided to punt, end up giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers five minutes to go. I thought it was a mistake. We don't have to get into that today. But they were basically a possession, a fumble, a call away from having an opportunity to beat Aaron Rodgers at home in a game that they had no business winning. For me, and I think for a lot of you as Chiefs fans, that was something where you came away from the game more optimistic about this team's future than you came or than you came into the game with. There was reason for optimism after that game. I felt coming out of that game better about this team than I felt going into the game. I felt like coming out of the game we have seen the Chiefs defense develop an identity I felt coming out of the game that Andy Reid coached in terms of the on-field offensive production side of things. He coached the best game of the year for him. I don't think we had seen Andy Reid call a game better all year than what we saw from him on Sunday. He, and this is what Cody said earlier today, and it's a great point, he got Matt Moore into a quarterback duel against Aaron Rodgers and nearly won the football game. Do you know how ridiculous that is? Matt Moore, who was out of football coaching high school, and earlier this spring while he was between jobs, he was like the guy that was an accountant, got fired, got laid off, and went and served over at B-dubs for a few months before he got back into accounting. He was that guy, except he did that with quarterback. 
He was a quarterback in the NFL. Ah, I'm going to get a side gig. I'm going to go uh, scout for an NFL team. I'm going to be at Kyler Murray's Pro Day. And then later that summer, I'm going to go back to high school. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna volunteer coach for my high school football team. That sounds like fun. That'd be a really nice, enjoyable job while I figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. That's what he was doing. And then Andy Reid called and was like, you know what? I think you should come play football for me again. Matt Moore was like, all right, cool. I can do that. I'm like 80% sure I've seen this plot to a movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was called The Natural. <laughs> and he came back and he got into a quarterback duel with Aaron Rodgers and nearly won. That's impossible. And the Chiefs just did it last week. And so coming out of that game, I look at it and I'm like, they have the best weapons in the NFL. I don't think you can argue for any other team at this point. What McCole Hardman has shown us, what Demarcus Robinson has become, what Sammy Watkins is when he's healthy, what Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have always been, that's the best collection of weapons that any team has in the league. You add in the fact that eventually, I don't know if it's this week, I don't know if it's next week, I don't know if it's in three weeks, Patrick Mahomes is going to be healthy, and you're going to have the best quarterback in the NFL again. And then you add in a defense that, whilst it still has its fatal flaws, running game, not good against. Um, in terms of defending running backs in the passing game, not good. Cornerbacks, average at best. It's better than it was a year ago. And if you can have those elements, the best passing game in the league, an average defense, a defense that knows its identity, and I think that's really important, and Mike Zimmer talked about that earlier this week. Maybe it might have been the team they're playing. It might have been they have a couple guys out, um, you know, that I think will be back this week. Um, you know, it's every week's a new week, but, uh, you know, when you start getting 16, 17, 18 blitzes, you know, in a row, it could be their identity now. I mean, that's their identity. Their identity defensively is the same thing that their identity is offensively. And that's what I love about this team. Like, everybody talks about playing complementary football, right? And they they say it as if the only way to play complementary football is by running the football offensively and by stopping the run defensively, right? Like, that's the only way to play complementary football, except that it's not. We've seen in college there are teams and I don't want to hear that you can't do this in the NFL because how many different things that we see in college have we now seen work in the NFL? Hell, half the Chiefs offense is college quote-unquote offense. The way that a lot of teams play is we are going to throw the ball all over the yard. You're going to have to defend every blade of glass, grass offensively. And then on defense, we're just going to attack you from every possible level. We're going to bring our linebackers on one play. We're going to bring a safety on one play. We're going to blitz a corner on another play. We're going to attack the living hell out of your quarterback, and you're not going to know where it's coming from at any given time. It might not make sense as to why we're bringing pressure, but we are bringing pressure, and we are attacking you every play of the game. That's what the defense is right now. The Chiefs' complementary version of football is not run the ball offensively, stop the run defensively, grind it out, play really low-scoring, really fast-paced games in terms of the clock continues to move. No, that's not their style. The Chiefs style is the opposite. We are going to go bombs over Baghdad offensively. We are just throwing the ball all over the place. And defensively, we're going to attack your quarterback at every possible moment. It might not be the style that you like. It might not be the style that you're used to as a Chiefs fan. And I totally get that. We grew up with Marty Ball, right? Like, that was the opposite style of complimentary football. It's not going to be that. But it can be effective. 
And when Patrick Mahomes gets back, and I think that's probably going to be next week, the Chiefs are playing a style that absolutely fits them. If you hated the way that Bob Sutton played, this is exactly what you were asking for. You were asking for the defense to make adjustments. Well, the defense couldn't get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And then over the last two weeks, the Chiefs have decided to go with this game game plan. They have 14 sacks and 22 quarterback hits against Aaron Rodgers and Joe Flacco. This is the style that's working. Will it work tomorrow night or tomorrow against the Vikings? Will it work tomorrow against who Matthew Collar just told us is the number one quarterback in the league against the Blitz? I got no idea. I have no clue. But I want to see. I want to find out. I'd rather lose fighting the way that they have been than lose by five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, eat up the clock, don't give your offense an opportunity. At least with this style, they can potentially make some big plays defensively. Tyron Matthew maybe comes up with a pick. Chris Jones tomorrow maybe forces a fumble on a sack. Those are the things that happen when when you create havoc for the opposing quarterback. The way that they were playing beforehand is just not a winning style of football for this defense. They're not good enough to play that way. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, there is more pressure moving forward on the Chiefs' offense than there is on the Chiefs' defense. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, I think we officially have the answer to the question that I was most interested in whenever John Sherman took over as the new Royals owner. I'll tell you what that is coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. We got Grant on the other side of the glass this morning. If you want to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69 69- Three zero six coming up at twelve thirty. We have pregame for what is probably the biggest sunflower showdown in more than a decade. So excited to have that on the sh- uh, on the station coming up at twelve thirty. We will take you up until twelve o'clock. All right. So I think the biggest question that I had with the new ownership here for the Royals is. What it meant for Dayton Moore. And a lot of people didn't have these questions, and I felt like I was kind of out on a loan on an island here. I really did wonder what this meant for Dayton Moore. Not that I thought Dayton was going to get fired or anything like that, but imagine that your company, wherever you work, right? It could be a hospital. It could be a radio station like us. It could be you just work in a sales building, right? Wherever you may work. Imagine that there's a new ownership group that comes comes in place. They're going to make changes. Like, that's how this works in business. We all know this to be true. If there is a new ownership group that takes over ESPN, let's say, right? We would all expect that there would be changes coming to ESPN, whether that be with the front-facing people, whether that be with cost-cutting, whether that be with spending more money, whatever it may be, there would be changes that are implemented. If there is a new ownership group or a merger in a hospital, You would expect that they're going to make changes, whether that be with process in terms of the way that they do things like there would be changes that would take place. The same is true in baseball. If you have a new ownership group that takes place, and in this particular instance, a new owner, a singular person that is going to be taking over as the owner of the team, you would expect that there would be changes, big, small, indifferent changes. And so I wondered what is the process going to be specifically with the manager and how is that going to reflect on the ownership's belief in Dayton Moore? 
So when Dayton said this at his press conference earlier this week, I found it really interesting and really enlightening in terms of it telling us exactly where Dayton stood with this new ownership group. Here's Dayton Moore earlier this week. Mr. Sherman had an opportunity to to meet with the candidates. He had several conversations with Mike along the way, uh, in person and over the phone, as did Mr. Glass and Dan Glass throughout the process. I mean, we've worked together for a long time. You, You know our leadership style. We don't make these decisions in a vacuum. I'm the last person to weigh in on uh, the decision that we should make, getting counsel, getting advice, getting feedback and opinion and fact from everybody in this organization. Uh, And so once we feel like we have the necessary information, we move forward. And and, uh, Mr. Sherman, uh, with a a meeting with Kevin and and Mike Swanson and myself uh, last week, he he really felt that, uh, hey, I'm satisfied with this. Let's go. Let's move forward. we got work to do, and the sooner we can get uh, this partnership rolling, I mean, the better off we're going to be. So here's the reason why I find that really interesting. Dayton Moore brought in Mike Matheny last year as a advisor, whatever you want to call his role, as a guy that would come into the organization and help them in whatever role that they needed him, ultimately is the way that it works. So... Dayton Moore brings in Mike Matheny. Dayton Moore previously was the, like, quote-unquote, czar of the Royals. He was the guy that oversaw everything. He was the guy that, if there's a decision being made, Dayton was the guy that ultimately had the decision-making power. And so I wondered, is that going to be the same case with this new ownership? What we learned this week is that I believe the answer is yes. I believe the answer is that John Sherman believes in Dayton Moore. And that's a really important thing. That is a really significant thing to learn as fans of, okay, where is this going? Like, if you are somebody that believes in Dayton more or doesn't, I can understand both points of view in terms of, like, if you are lacking confidence right now or if you're super strong on Dayton more, the guy brought a championship here that's perfectly justified. Regardless of where you stand on Dayton as the baseball decision maker, it's really important to know where he stands within the organization. And what we learned this week from John Sherman's decision to check off, sign off on Mike Matheny as the next manager of your Kansas City Royals is that he believes in Dayton Moore. So regardless of where we all stand, the owner is on board with Dayton Moore. The owner believes that Dayton Moore knows what's best for the organization and is going to ride with him on this decision. And this is the biggest decision that the Royals will make over the next couple of years. We were just talking with Cody Tapp earlier today about you know, what do you expect that the Royals will do in free agency this offseason? And he said that because of the new owner, he expects that they're going to be bigger players than they otherwise would have because he expects that this new ownership group is going to want to be at least competent sooner rather than later. Well, even if they are bigger players, they're not going to be in play for Garrett Cole. They're not going to go out and sign the biggest guys that are on the market this offseason, they're not going to be in the business of handing out $100 million contracts right now. So the biggest move that the Royals are going to make this offseason and maybe next offseason is probably the manager decision because this is a decision that they're going to make for the next three to five years at, at the minimum. Mike Matheny, regardless of how next season goes, will not be fired. They know that they're not going to be good. So why would you be firing the manager? Same thing is very likely the case for 2021. He's not going to be fired after that season. 
So regardless of the results over the next two-plus two years, Mike Matheny's your manager. Most of the contracts that you're signing this offseason are likely for the next two to three years. The biggest decision they're going to make over the next few years, next couple of years, is the one they just made. And if John Sherman signed off on Mike Matheny, it tells me everything I need to know about his belief in Dayton Moore. So if you had questions like I did about what this new ownership group meant for the most important person in the organization in Dayton Moore, we have our answer. We now know exactly what the answer is. The ownership group is not making the changes that we all thought they potentially could. They're going to come in and they're going to say, which is what a good owner probably should do, you know what? Things are being run pretty well here. They came in, they interviewed people, they were like, all right, let me get a sense for how things are going here. And they came to the conclusion of, yeah, you know, the guy in charge, he knows what he's doing. He's good at his job. I believe in his plan. I want to see his plan through. And we're going to back him 100% of the way. We'll see if it works. That's not what the answer is that we were looking for right now. The only answer that we could get this week is the answer on Dayton Moore. We now know that answer. So moving forward, the most important thing is not what Mike Matheny is as a manager, is not what the players are that are in their organization right now. The most important thing moving forward is what Dayton Moore is going to be able to do for the organization. Now the pressure is on him to get what we've had corrected to get this team back to contention. Dayton Moore is the single most important person, the most important voice in the Royals organization. It has been that way for years, and it will continue to be that way under the new ownership group. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, I think we should talk about how the AFC is coming back to the Chiefs. Because as much as we've talked about the Chiefs injuries this year, there's starting to be some injuries around the league that could be of note for the Chiefs. We'll get into that coming up at 1145, but coming up next, what exactly would be considered a success for the Chiefs tomorrow against Alvin Cook? We'll get into it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. We got Grant on the other side of the glass with us. Just about 30 minutes left here in the show. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. If you want to get involved in the show, Protein LZ with the purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter. I am at BK Sports Talk. So before we get into the Chiefs offense and the sliding scale that we have seen take place, Grant, did you do anything for uh, Halloween this year? I went to a party at my buddy's house, but oh. it wasn't anything special. I didn't dress up. So you didn't go trick-or-treating or anything this no, year? No, I'm not that young. Hey, man, sometimes you got family members. I didn't know oh, no. I didn't know if you had a niece or a nephew <laughs> or a cousin. Right, or, fair enough. I apologize no. for, for throwing that one out there. I felt like it was a fair question. So I didn't, no, go, I didn't, go. I, I didn't go trick-or-treating this year either. I don't have any little ones in the family that we could go with, but... There are a lot of people that would still love to go trick-or-treating. I know it was cold on Thursday night, but I know a lot of our listening audience, you got a little one that's out there. They were like, you know what, Dad? You know what, Mom? We need to go trick-or-treating. It's cold out there, but I want to go get some candy. So a lot of people went trick-or-treating on Thursday night. 
A lot of people across the country, though, did not go trick-or-treating on Thursday night. Some of them are about to be coming to your house tonight or tomorrow because apparently we're thinking about moving Halloween. Here's a story from CBS in Boston. All of these cities and towns have either moved trick-or-treating to Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Most communities in our area, though, say they are sticking with the tradition of trick-or-treating on Halloween. WBZ's Louisa Moeller has our story. Manchester, New Hampshire, moving trick-or-treating to Sunday afternoon to avoid having kids out on busy and soaked city streets. Public safety is obviously the utmost concern here, and we have to make sure that the, the heavy rain that could cause flooding and debris, that sort of stuff, doesn't become a hazard. But the weather also causing a flood of controversy. A lot of parents on Facebook not resting easy about the scheduling changes. I honestly don't like it. When I was little, I trick-or-treated in the snow, in the rain, cold. It's rain, snow, shine. You go out and you get it. Halloween is Halloween. Yeah, you go out and you get it. Here's what I don't understand. So if I'm somebody that's in a neighborhood and they're like, you know what, we're moving Halloween. We are going to move it to Saturday night. So the kids that go out on Thursday night that didn't get the memo, like are they still allowed to get their candy? The kids that go out on Saturday night, if I'm not home Saturday night because, you know, Halloween was on Thursday, do they then not get the candy? Like, how do we all come to the conclusion of we're going to have Halloween on this day? Like, I thought we were all under the same impression that October 31st is Halloween. And so on Halloween, we get to go trick-or-treating. Not we, because I'm 26, about to be 27 years old. Like, I'm not out there doing the trick-or-treating, but your child is going to be out there trick-or-treating on Thursday night when it is Halloween night. How con- well, my concern is when do we stop here? Do we start moving Christmas to the weekend because it's more convenient? We've got to take less time off work? See, that's the thing. I'm on board. If we want to move Halloween to the fourth Saturday in October, I'm down. Here's my question, though. How do we go about doing this? Like, is this something that Congress has to get involved in? And they're like, we have put together a resolution. We have put together a bill. Nationwide, Halloween is moving. It is now no longer the 31st. It is now the fourth Saturday of every month. I'm perfectly fine with that, honestly. Like, we want to move it. We want to make it like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the fourth Thursday of every month, or of every, every uh, November. If we want to make it like that, I'm down. I'm perfectly fine with it. I got no issues. Or the last Saturday of every October, that's fine with me. I have no problem with it. We just all need to be on the same page. Like, we can't have Boston going with its Saturday in October. We can't have Kansas City going with its the Thursday. We can't have Chicago going with Friday. Like, we got to be on the same page here. Halloween is Halloween, and then we can all kind of go act accordingly. But we can't be having 17 different days throughout the month of October that are Halloween for different people scattered across the country and different people scattered across, apparently, one neighborhood. It's crazy, man. I can't believe that we've arrived in a place where Halloween is now a controversy, not because of what people are wearing on Halloween, but Halloween is a controversy because of the day that we're supposed to be going out for Halloween for trick-or-treating. It's nuts, man. You just go trick-or-treating in my neighborhood, you're not getting any candy. Not on what? Saturday. On Saturday. Oh, okay. I was about to say. Sorry. <laughs> we're not handing out candy anymore? All right. So, Halloween was on Thursday. On Sunday, we're all going to be watching the Chiefs game, I would imagine, especially if you're listening to this show right now on a Saturday morning. Speaking of the Chiefs, the Chiefs this week decided not to make a trade. At the trade deadline. Now, I'm not going to get on here on my soapbox telling you about how they should have made a trade. I'm done with that conversation. We all know that they should have made a trade on t- on Tuesday. 
What I am interested in talking about, though, is where they go from here. Because by not making a trade, they didn't put more pressure on the defense because they would have, if they made a trade, probably done so on the defensive side of the ball. They didn't put more pressure on the defense. The defense is what it is at this point. They're better this year. They have improved this year. They are more or less what I wanted them to be this year. Not making a move at the deadline puts more pressure on the offense moving forward. That's what Brett Veach did. He put more pressure on Andy Reid, on Patrick Mahomes, on Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, so on and so forth. By not making a move at the deadline, the Chiefs told all of us, plain and simple, to win a Super Bowl this year, we are going to have to have a historic offense. That was the case before the season. It remains the case today. That's perfectly fine. It's just a difficult way to win. There's less margin for error, especially when you have a quarterback coming back from a significant injury where he had a dislocated kneecap along with an injury that we all kind of forgot about while he's been kind of rehabbing this knee issue. He also has a significant ankle issue that has come up time and time and time again within individual games because he hasn't been able to fully heal from it. For this team to reach their full potential, they need the offense to get back to what it was a year ago. They can't be good. They can't be great. They can't be one of the best in the NFL. For this team to get to where we wanted them to go, the offense has to be one of the best ever again. And they can be that. They can. They have all of the potential in the world to go back to what they were previously. They just need Mahomes. And so that's where I'm interested in seeing what it looks like. I don't think it's going to be Sunday. I think it's going to be next week. When Patrick Mahomes is back, what does this offense look like? They're still missing Eric Fisher. They otherwise are more or less 100% healthy. If Mahomes is back to being himself, the pressure is justified. The pressure is going to be just fine for them to go back to what they were a year ago. But that's where the pressure lies. The pressure moving forward, and this is something that I'm going to have as a different stance on the defense moving forward. I wanted the defense to get better from where it was now because there's a sliding scale, right? If the offense is going to be the fifth best in the league, The defense can't just be 20th. The defense can't be below average. The defense has to then move up to like 8th, ninth, 10th best in the league. You got to be good on both sides of the ball if that's going to be what the offense is. If the offense is the best in the league, now the 20th best defense is perfectly fine like it was a year ago. If the defense last year was 20th in the league instead of 29th, they would have went to and won the Super Bowl. No questions asked, point blank, period. They would have won the Super Bowl last year if they had the 20th best defense in the league. But last year, they had the best offense in the league. So they're working with a sliding scale right now. And so moving forward, I'm going to judge the offense when Patrick Mahomes gets back through that lens. The offense has to be amazing. And if they lose a game by scoring 24 points, the defense gives up 27, it's not on the defense. It will not be on the defense moving forward. It will be on the offense for not living up to their side of expectations. Because Brett Veach told us this week, by not making a move, that he has confidence his offense can get back to where it was a year ago. That's what that move, that move That's what not making a move on Tuesday told us. They believe the defense as is, is good enough. They believe that the 20th best defense in the league is enough for them to win a Super Bowl. And so I'm going to take their word for it. I'm going to go ahead and go along with whatever that statement is. And that means that they believe their offense is going to get back to what it was last year. That's what the statement was on Tuesday. Speaking of the defense, this is going to be one hell of a test tomorrow. A hell of a test. Dalvin Cook does everything that the Chiefs struggle against. 
He's really good in the receiving game as a running back. He has 100 yards rushing or a rushing touchdown in every single game this season. On the year, he averages, his average game is 20 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown along with four receptions for 40 yards. On the year, he's averaging roughly, let's see here, 10, 16, 20, 24 fantasy points. Think about that. Like, if you've got a fantasy football team and you could just say, my running back every week is going to get me 24 fantasy points on average, you're set, man. You're rolling. You're riding riding that all the way to a championship. That's what Dalvin Cook does on average. And so tomorrow, what I'm most interested in seeing is what the Chiefs try to take away. Do they try to take away Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, or do they try to take away Dalvin Cook? Because if they try to take away Cook, you might get beat by Diggs and Thielen, and that could go for some huge plays over the top. But if you try to take away Cooks and Thielen, now you give an avenue for Dalvin Cook. I'm fascinated to see what Spags tries to do, because what we've seen from him this year is he's making adjustments throughout the course of a game and the, throughout the course of the season. I'm, I have no idea what he's going to go with, but I'm really interested to see what he does. Because this is the last game, most likely, that it's going to be on the defense to try to keep them in the game. Moving forward, it's going to be on Mahomes and that offense. But tomorrow, it's on the defense to keep them in it. Coming up next, we finish this thing up by a little bit of optimism about the Chiefs. The AFC, don't look now, but it's starting to come back to them. We'll do it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. We got Grant on the other side of the glass. If you missed any of the show today, you can check it out. 610sports.com is the place to do so or the radio.com app. Coming up at 1230, we have pregame for KU versus K-State, a sunflower showdown for the ages, if you will. I still expect K-State to win this one. KU has a shot, though. And that's as much as you can say about KU really in this game for the last 10 years or so. They have lost each and every one of the last 10 meetings between these two teams. Pre-game for that coming up at 1230 right here on 610 Sports Radio. So I just saw this from Matt Miller on Twitter. He's at NFL Draft Scout. He writes for Bleacher Report. Said, idea, what about if the Chiefs just decided to run the speed option? You put McCole Hardman at quarterback, Tyreek Hill at running back, Sammy Watkins running vertical routes at wide receiver, and Travis Kelsey running across the middle as you're tied in. That would mitigate the loss of Eric Fisher, Fisher and LDT. The Vikings won't be ready for that much speed and McCullough's experience at quarterback. Listen, I don't think that's a great idea. I would be interested in watching it. McCole Hardman at quarterback with Tyreek Hill at running back sounds fun. I don't think it works. I don't know how effective it would be. I am very much interested in watching that, though. Say this. The only reason why, in my opinion... There's two reasons. There's two reasons why, in my opinion, you would be picking the Chiefs tomorrow against the Vikings. Because I'm definitely picking the Vikings to win this game. If you're picking the Chiefs, there's probably two reasons why. One, it's a belief in Andy Reid that he, no matter the quarterback, can get them to 20 for 28 for 205 to 220 yards. And they finish the game with two touchdowns and a pick. Like, that's your belief in Andy Reid is that whether it's Matt Moore or Chad Haney or Kyle Shermer or Alex Smith or Nick Foles or whoever the guy is that's in there at quarterback, Chase Daniel, he can get them to that stat line. The second belief that you need to have if you're picking the Chiefs this weekend is that the defense is actually fixed. The defense is what we've seen the last two weeks, and they're going to create pressure, and Chris Jones coming back is going to allow them to create even more pressure 
without having to bring quite as much uh, in terms of the blitz. That's the second thing you need to believe. So you got to believe in Andy Reid, and you got to believe in the defense being for real. If you believe those two things, I can understand why you would be picking the Chiefs against the Vikings. And I guess the third thing, kind of as a caveat, you probably don't believe in Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins, Carrington gave this stat the other day, and it was a good one. Kirk Cousins is 5-15 and 15 against winning teams in his career. He's basically Matt Stafford when it comes to big games. He never wins them. He never wins these types of games. And so if the Chiefs lose this game, it will be something that Kirk Cousins very rarely does. So that's the other thing that you probably believe. All right, so I want to get into the road field advantage. We'll get into that coming up here in just a minute. But before we do that, let's talk about the AFC. Because we are starting now as Chiefs fans, at least I am, to look at this season in the big picture as opposed to in the micro. Like, it's a lot more macro than micro this year. And one of the conversations we've been having of late is, is this two seed still in play? Chiefs are five and three. They've got a really tough matchup this weekend against the Vikings. Maybe they fall to five and four. Is the two seed realistically still in play? And coming into last weekend, I probably would have told you no. I probably would have said it's unlikely that the Chiefs are going to be able to get that two seed. This week's changed my opinion on that a bit. And it has less to do with the Chiefs and more to do with the other teams that are contenders for that two seed. So here's what I mean by that. You have the tiebreaker currently over the Ravens because you beat them head to head. And so you have that tiebreaker. And oh, by the way, the Ravens this week have the Patriots. It's a tough game. Sunday night, going to learn a lot about both of those teams in that matchup between the Ravens and the Patriots. But I would expect that the Patriots would win that game, especially because Bill Belichick is so good against young quarterbacks. I would expect that after this week, the Ravens will be 5-3 and three on the season and the Chiefs still have the tiebreaker over that team. By the way, they don't have an easy schedule coming up. Texans, Ray, uh, Rams at the Rams, Bills at the Bills, 49ers. It's, it's a tough schedule coming up for the Ravens. So I'm not as worried about them. The teams that I was worried about are the teams that have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs. It's the Colts and it's the Texans. And the reason why you're worried about that is because you, you're you not just a game behind those teams right now in terms of those teams 5-2, and two, Chiefs 5-3, and three, half game back right now. You also have to have a better record than both of those teams because of that tiebreaker. So here's the news this week that changed things. For Houston, they lost J.J. Watt. And J.J. Watt this year had been playing like J.J. Watt of old. He was the guy that was a dominant force on the defensive side of the ball. Without him in there, they're not as good against the run. Their secondary is already atrocious. That's a team defensively that has some real issues. They're going to ask Deshaun Watson to do what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do over the last calendar year. I don't know if he can. I think he can, but they've got some real holes, and their schedule is difficult with at the Ravens, the Colts, the Patriots coming up, at the Titans, a difficult game at the Buccaneers. Their schedule gets more difficult, and I don't know if that's a team that can win 12 games anymore. The Colts were probably the team that I was the most concerned about because their schedule's not as difficult, and they have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs. And now they lost T.Y. Hilton for the next month. T.Y. Hilton's expected to miss the next month with an injury. In his career, the Colts are 0-5 when T.Y. Hilton's not on the field. Grant, do you know the, the Colts' number one receiver with T.Y. Hilton out right now? Um, no. 
I don't blame you. His name is Zach Pascal. Zach Pascal, who nobody has ever rostered in their fantasy league. And that's saying something. Like, if you've never rostered a guy in fantasy, that means he's really not good. On the year, Zach Pascal has 14 catches. He's their number one wide receiver, not named T.Y. Hilton. 14 catches, he's played seven games. He's averaging two receptions a game. That's their number one receiver for the next month. Okay, well, I wonder how teams are going to go ahead and game plan for the Colts. I'm not sure they're going to win tomorrow. Against the Steelers in Pittsburgh, I think the Steelers might win that football game. I really do. And then they go and take on the Dolphins. Okay, let's be honest here. The Colts are winning that game at home. But then they've got the Jags and at the Texans. The Colts very well may go one and three over their next four games. If that's the case, they're already to five losses on the season. Boom, two seed back in play for the Chiefs. I say all of that to say this. As difficult as it may feel to believe right now, the Chiefs and the two seed are still in play even if they lose tomorrow because 11 and five might get it this year. Most years, you've got to get to 12 wins. This year, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts, the Ravens, or let's let's say the Colts and the Texans each end up at 10 and 6. The Ravens are at 11 and 5, and the Chiefs win the tiebreaker over them at 11 and 5 because of the head to head matchup. There's not a lot of wiggle room for the Chiefs. Not a lot of wiggle room at all. Mahomes has to come back and be Mahomes again. But the schedule sets up pretty nicely. The Titans. Think about how many of these teams you're going to pick over the Chiefs if the Chiefs have Mahomes. Titans, Chargers, Raiders, Patriots, I could see. Broncos, Bears, Chargers. I think I would pick them to lose one game. If Mahomes is Mahomes, I would pick them to lose one game down the stretch, and that's on the road at the Patriots. That gets you to 11-5. and So the hope if you're a Chiefs fan is I would be rooting like hell tomorrow against the Colts and for the Steelers. I would be rooting like hell tomorrow for the Jags and against the Texans. If those teams end up with six losses this season, the two seed is suddenly right back in play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's the other thing that I would add into this. I think the number one concern that Chiefs fans have about the two seed or the three seed or the four seed is we got to go to New England. We got to go back to New England place where the phones don't work and the calls go against you and Brady's at home and he never loses at home in the playoffs. We got to go up there. Might be a different season. Might be different this year. Road teams this NFL season are 63-56-1. This is something that has been weird for the Chiefs. They've lost three straight home games, could lose four if they lose again tomorrow. It's been like this across the entire league. That's the most road wins through week eight in NFL history. Since the merger in 1970, so we're going on 50 years of NFL football, there has never been a season in which road teams won more games than home teams. Last season, road teams lost 60% of the time. This year, they're winning more than 50% of the time. If there's one reason for optimism as a Chiefs fan, as the two seed or the three seed or the four, whatever it ends up being, the reason for optimism is home field advantage just isn't the same anymore. It's the case at Arrowhead. It's the case in Indianapolis. It's the case in New England. It's the case everywhere across the league. These home teams just don't have the same advantage that they once did, in part because travel is easier than it ever has been, in part because these teams are more prepared than they ever have been. The home field advantage just isn't the same. So as you're watching the games this weekend, 
Root for the Chiefs, root against the Colts, root against the Texans, and don't worry about that home field advantage as much as you probably did once in the past. It's not as important as it once was. Still would like to get that bye week. That'd be real nice. But the home field advantage, not as big of a deal as it once was. It's been a blast to be with you guys today. I think we're back next week. I'm not positive on that. Depends on when K-State plays. If they play at 11, we won't be on. But we'll figure that out as we go along. If you missed any of the show, really enjoyed having Matthew Collar of Score North on earlier today. You can check that out. It's on the podcast page, 610sports.com. We also talked to Cody Tapp, our Royals insider, about the Mike Matheny hire and what he expects the team to do this offseason. So a lot of Royals, a lot of Chiefs. We enjoyed having you guys along the way. If you want to hit me up after the show, I'm on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Love interacting with you guys on there. For Grant, we appreciate him. For Cody Tapp, who was in with us for the first hour, I'm Brandon Kiley. This has been the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.